This is the Living Bertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 21, 33 through 46, which looks at another of Jesus's parables, the parable of the tenants. Together, we will be discussing our role as stewards in God's kingdom. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again to uh, just continue this journey that we have been on through Matthew. Um, as a, a quick reminder, last week we worked through Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32, and out of these two passages, we discussed the importance of following through on our yes to Jesus. Uh, This week, we're going to continue on in this exchange that is taking place in within the temple, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. So we're going to be finishing out Matthew chapter 21, and specifically, we're going to be looking at Jesus's parable of the tenants, Um, and we have Natasha reading for us today. So Natasha, would you read Matthew uh, 21, verses 33 through 46 for us? Yes. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. All right, so there's our uh, passage and our parable for the day. Um, I guess let's do as we always do. Let's jump in. What are you guys seeing? Uh, what's sticking out to you? What are some important things that we might need to mention up front? Well, I think it would be good for us to point out the the characters, so to speak, that, that Jesus reveals through this story. And so the first being the landowner and that 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 signifying God and the, the vineyard signifying the people of Israel and the farmers signifying the uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law. The, the servants of the landowner signifying the prophets and the son of the landowner signifying Jesus. And so 
you know, I think it's good that as we like start into this, that we recognize that these are the characters, so to speak, that Jesus is talking about through this, this story that he's laying before them. And I think uh, with that, two observations that I have just kind of right off the bat. Um, one is that it would seem as though that is substantiated just within the text itself at the end of uh, the this set of verses when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard the parable and they knew that he was talking about them like that. That's affirmation that that's exactly uh, what this means. And then the other observation that I have is that the landowner within this parable, God, um, in, in doing what he did with the vineyard, he has essentially set the vineyard up for success, you know, and he, he planted the vineyard and, but he didn't just stop there. He, he, uh, put a wall around it. He dug a wine press and he built a watchtower. So he made the vineyard, but then also put things in place to, to make it fruitful and, and successful and then turned it over to the tenants, um, to, to farm it and, and to produce the harvest in expectation that there was going to be a yield. And as you say that, I think of our own lives and like what, what God's done within us. Like he set us up for success. He's given us all the tools to be fruitful. Um, and yet we can still kind of want more, which I think is kind of what, you know, the, the those working the field are kind of guilty of. Like he set us up for success. He, he like clears the path and makes a way. And, you know, he is, there is a harvest coming. And, and with the coming harvest, the landowner is sending, you know, his servants to collect his share of the harvest with them being renters of the field. You know, their means of paying this rent is by sharing the harvest that is produced. And it would seem as though for the, the tenants sharing is not enough. Like they, they would in, in as indicated by the way they treated the servants, their desire is that they would have it all and not just, you know, their share that was promised them. They, they want their share and others. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been guilty of that before too. You know, God, God making a way, God providing, God setting me up. And then when essentially when he brings this harvest within my life, sometimes it's like, well, I did that. I earned that. Mm -hmm. I deserve that. And not to say that that's how that they felt, but, um, you know, it can be easy to, to try to remove yourself even from what's being said here when in reality we're not always that much different. I think I was struck by the phrase uh, in verse 38 towards the end where it says, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And when I think about kind of what Jesus is referencing when we talk about who these characters represent, Derek, as you pointed out, they're literally in this parable, Jesus is saying, you know, you're you, the Pharisees, and you, the Sadducees, you, the people who are supposed to be here caring for my 
my sheep, essentially, in my absence, you are trying now to come in and kill my heir, kill the Son of God, kill the Messiah, so that you can have what is always meant for him. And I feel like there's this power grab that's at play. And I I feel like this theme continues from what we had talked about mm-hmm. last week, where yep. um, just again, like this, this issue of, well, we can't admit that the crowds are right, because if the crowds are right, that makes us wrong. We can't be wrong because, well, this, this church or what, you know, I mean, this is prior to the church, but I mean, essentially this, this pre-Jesus church is ours. It's ours. We run this place. We've we done this. We have control. School. We yeah. have authority. We, we, we've put in our time. And so who's this guy to come in here and tell us, you know, that, well, no, we're doing this wrong. It's different. And so when I, I think about that, I think about this just this extremely sick, like power maneuvering that's happening that is trying to be addressed in this parable. And they, they see it at a, a surface level. But then when it would, when it becomes exposed to them that no, 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 this is talking about, this is, he's talking about us. Hey, he's talking about us. Then it, my guess is that being exposed in that way, they're not ready to own the fact that they're in it to steal the kingdom of heaven away from God, Mm. which is essentially what this parable is demonstrating. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I, when I think about it and bring that into our own lives, I guess I, it causes me to ask the question of what areas in my life am I trying to stamp some sort of ownership on something that doesn't belong to me? It's not mine to control. It's not mine to have authority over. It's not mine to have power over, but rather it's God's. And so I just, I think it causes me to reflect and think about what are those things. So Jesus, search my heart. As you were saying that, I think the word that started coming to my mind, which I don't know that I would have initially attributed this parable to this word, or this word to this parable, or parable to word, whatever. But the word that came to mind was stewardship. And how, as a steward, you are not the owner of something you are you are charged with the responsibility of caring for it of overseeing it of of guiding and making decisions in some respects but you are not the owner of it and essentially Jesus is is telling this Jesus is telling the story of the history of Israel right through this parable in a in a quick episode and he is saying that, you know, my father had established you guys as stewards of his creation, of his chosen people. And instead of living into that call that he had placed in your life, instead of living into that um, identity that he had given you, as the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that wasn't enough. And you decided instead of being a steward, I want to be the owner. And I, I want, 
like you were saying, Tosh, I want to stamp my identity on this. I want to stamp my name on this. It's not enough for me to just be an overseer of this stuff. I want it to be mine. And when I think about that idea of, of stewardship and I think about our lives today, I mean, this is really how our life is supposed to be. We, we are simply stewards of all that we have. I mean, that's how we ought to look at it. But I think all too often you ask the question, like you said, look, Jesus, search me. And I, I think it can go in a lot of different directions and maybe it would be appropriate for us to maybe as Jesus brings things to our minds to identify maybe some of those places that we have tried to stamp ownership when we are simply the steward. But I think, I think this problem is pretty pervasive throughout our lives as individuals throughout our lives as the church where we think whether implicitly or explicitly that something is ours and not just something that we are to oversee. So whether it's, you know, the car that I drive, it's, it's my car. It's not the car that I have the opportunity to steward over. That, that sounds weird for me to say, that even sounds weird for me to say that right now. Um, but so that seems kind of point like not important, but then again, I'm a pastor so a lot of times when you're in pastoral circle, circles, the conversation becomes, well, my congregation or my people or my church. And we put this ownership on things. And inadvertently, it seems as though we begin to elevate ourselves above steward. And we try to take that place of owner a place that was never meant for us to be just like the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I think that happens as you're talking about in the church. I feel like that happens in lay positions too. It's easy to say, well, this is my Bible study. This mm, is, yep. this is my Sunday school class. This is, you know, and you, we do, we take ownership of whatever it is. I, I think we've been, been affiliated with churches that have had daycares before. Well, this is my classroom. Mm-hmm. This is my daycare. This is, and so I, I think, I, I honestly, anywhere, any person who is serving in the church, period, which all of us, if we're following Jesus, probably should be doing that in, in some space. Um, there's a temptation potentially for this sort of ownership to be assumed as opposed to this this role of steward. And so Jesus is calling out the religious establishment for their movement into their attempted coup, essentially, where they are moving from attempting to move the, to promote themselves from steward to owner. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law recognize this. They see that what he's doing and they don't like what he's doing. And much like the conversation we had last week with Jesus asking the question about John and where his authority came from and the Pharisees saying, you know, we're just not going to answer 
because we don't want to upset the crowd and they were worried about what the crowd would think about it. Like you see that happen again. So they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the people held that he was a prophet. So the Pharisees recognize where they're at in the story. They recognize who he is saying he is in the story. They recognize who the people say he is. And even still, they are so power hungry that instead of like when faced with the choice, the decision that needs to be made of, okay, I have now come face to face. And we've had this conversation, I think a couple of times in this podcast, especially recently where the Pharisees now, much like his disciples previously, they have come face to face with this reality that Jesus is the Messiah. And so now what is our response going to be to this? And they have this weird idea that, Oh, the best thing for us to do is to eliminate him because then this can just be ours and we don't have to worry about him anymore. Not sure why we think that makes sense, but their position of authority is threatened. And so they think the best plan of action is to remove that threat of their authority. Jesus even alludes to that in verse 39. Like he even alludes to that. So it says, uh, so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And that was in reference to the son, to, mm-hmm. to Jesus. And it's like a foreshadowing of what's going to yeah. happen. But I love how he turns it back on them. He like he always wants to make us think, or in this case, you know, the, the Pharisees. And so he, he says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So he's putting the question back on them. He's making them think. And this is where, like you were you were talking about, like they are understanding what's going on. Like he can read, he can read the crowd. Like now it's the opportunity to put it back on them to make them think about who they are in this and what their, I guess, what their end goal is, what their end game is. And so it's, I don't know, Jesus is like, he's forcing them to take ownership in where they are in the story mm-hmm. and how it goes forward. And I, I think to that point, I think in a way, Jesus is answering that question that he never really addressed when he left us hanging in uh, verse 27. Uh, last week we talked about neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things, but here he suggests by what authority he's doing mm-hmm. these things because mm-hmm. he's established God, um, or at least in their minds, right? God has been established as the farmer or the, uh, the landowner. Land yeah, the mm-hmm. landowner. And so then they hear the son. They know he's claiming to be the son of God. So there's this... You know, there's this connection I'm sure that's drawn in that moment. And so they hear by what authority Jesus is doing those things, although he doesn't say it explicitly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I want to say funny because it's kind of comical to me. The funny thing, he asks this question, puts it back on them, and they go, they play right into it. I mean, they play right into it. And, you know, Jesus knows, and that's, probably why he asked this question. He knows what the response is going to be because really there is only one response that should exist in this specific example. Um, even within the context of like society of that day, if something like this actually took place, well, this is what would happen. Like 
the landowner would come and he would bring rain down justice on the tenants who were there that mistreated the servants and, and murdered his son. And then he would find somebody else to care for the vineyard. You can, you can hear them getting mad on, right. on Jesus's behalf. Yeah, this is, this is wrong. This, this is an is outrage. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> and, and yet like in their answer, they are sealing their fate. They, they are, they are, stating what is going to happen. And a thought that I just had is I made the statement earlier that this is Israel's history. That's kind of gone through really quick in this episode, but it's also Israel's future that's established. And I'm not just talking about like eschatological, like end times future, like after Jesus dies, the church is born And so when Jesus dies, the father comes and replaces the tenants, turns the whole system on its head. And now you have these 12 men that were nothings from nowhere. And, you know, it's actually like a, I think the early church, the early disciples, there was what, just over, just under 200 or something like that, that would gather in the upper room before the, the um, day of Pentecost. So you have this handful of people who really are just a band of misfits that are now established as the tenants in the vineyard. And so you have Israel's past, Israel's present moment, <laughs> and Israel's very near future, all explained and foretold in this conversation with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are asking this question, by what authority are you doing these things? And so kind of like what you, Natasha and Derek both were saying, like, even though Jesus doesn't come out and directly say, this is by what authority I do it, in his response and in his conversation with them, he is clearly indicating the authority that he has and how things are going to go and where things are going to go from here. I almost feel like maybe I'm way off, but it's like a warning to the church. I know that the early church hasn't been established yet, but I almost feel like there's a warning because when I see verse 43, it says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And when I think of that, like I think like, okay, he has set us up just like in the like just like the vineyard. He set us up for success. He's given us all these tools, all this ability. And if we're not using it, like we're going to lose it. It's just like uh like I used to take voice lessons like a lot. I could do things that I cannot even come close to doing now because like I spent like all this time investing in it and trying to like get better and get better, just like, just like a sport. And like God has given us the tools. He's given us the vineyard. He's given us everything to be fruitful. Like we have this, we have all these grapes on the vine and all he wants us to do is like reap the harvest and give him his share. And if we're not doing anything, like the fruit is going to die on the vine I don't know, maybe maybe I'm way off base, but like as I see it, as I read that verse, like to me, it's like a warning. It's like a like Jesus firing a warning to the church. Like, if you're not willing to do what it takes 
to go bring the harvest in. It's going to die on the vine, and I will find someone else who will go and do it. And I don't want to, not that I don't want somebody else to be part of the harvest. I don't want to miss out on the harvest. Um, because I want to be, I want to be a good steward and I want to give him back, not just what he's given me, but I think I like the parable of the talents. Like, I don't want to just like go squirrel it away and then come back and be like, well, I didn't lose it. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm way off base. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. When he was talking about stewardship. I was thinking, you know, I didn't want to go down cause you guys had a lot, you guys were still talking about a lot, but, um, I, I kept focusing on verse 41 through, uh, 40, 43 about, you know, if like exactly what you said, Derek, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't take good care of what you have been given, he'll find somebody else. He'll, he'll, it, he'll make it happen. You know, if it's God's will, he's going to, he's, it's going to happen. And whether he uses me is up to me. And if I choose to do what he says. Yeah, I may not be his first choice, but I don't want him to skip over me to pick somebody else because I wasn't willing to do what he asked me to do. And I think that that statement, that thought comes full circle with this conversation again of stewardship because if I see again all walks of life or all areas of our life, if I see my time as my own, then I'm in control of it. I can do what I want with it. And I'm probably a lot more liable to waste it mm-hmm. and to squander it. But if I see my time as my father in heavens and I am simply a steward of that time, now I'm a whole lot more likely to, to um, dedicate myself to working mm-hmm. every moment of every day on his behalf to bring him glory because that's not my own. And I'm more likely to see the fruit that is coming in my life as God at work and be able to give him the glory and the honor because he is the rightful owner of it instead of thinking that it's something that I have done on my own account, on my own accord. And so again, it's like this this posture that we have, are, are we going to be in this posture of ownership or are we going to be in this posture of stewardship where we truly recognize and realize that my life is not my own? As a Christian, my life is not my own. I have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And as one who has surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, I now become the steward of my life, not the owner of my life. And so every word that I say, every action that I perform, every movement that I make is now an act of, of service back to the King. This makes me think about, um, you know, we, we've just come out of this pandemic, you know, um, and I remember pre pandemic thinking, Oh, I'm so busy. You know, I remember, thinking about, um, and hearing, you know, you need to reach out to your neighbors. You need to, you know, do all these things in your neighborhood. And I remember thinking, well, I'm never home. And I, I tr- we truly were never home. Um, we were, I was at work, we were at, you know, running around doing things for the church and, you know, busy family and COVID hit and the whole world shut down. 
And those excuses that I had that I was so busy that I just had to, I couldn't focus on anything else but all these things, those things were gone. Um, We didn't leave the house for a while. And we, we had no other option. If we were going to feel like we were doing the work of God, we had to look around us because that's as far as we could go. We could only go to our neighborhood. Um, and God made a way to, he took away all those distractions and the things and took that time that I said I didn't have and made me have plenty of it and allowed us to minister to our neighborhood. But how quickly it can go back. Absolutely. Absolutely. How quickly, you know, we can revert back. Nick, what you said, man, I feel like that spoke to me like, Jesus, you were speaking to me. My time is not my own, but I treat it like it is. And Jesus, I recognize that I waste too much time on things that do not matter. And I don't want stuff to die on the vine because I considered my time mine. Because the reality is you're coming and somebody needs to be there to do the work. And I want to be that somebody. So I want you to have all my time. Um, and I, well, I want you to have time and allow me to be in there somewhere used in, in your time. Um, and help me to quit saying my in a lot of things. Like I don't want to say my church, my neighborhood, my home, those are all things like you've placed me here. They're yours. And I want them to be yours. And I want to treat them like they're yours and not like they're mine. So thank you for using Nick to to make me more aware. So I suppose through this passage, through this conversation that we've been having Today, the question that I go back to is, what does it look like for us to live our life from the perspective of being a steward? Rather than seeing our life as something that we own, something that we are the owner of, what would it look like if we surrendered our ownership and recognize that every moment of every day, every thought, every action, every word is something that we have been given to steward rather than own. How does that change what we do? How does that change what we say? How does that change the heart with which we do things when we recognize that we are simply the steward? We are not the owner. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.